Good morning. In case you're wondering, the Lord didn't bring us this far to just bring us this far. Amen? Won't you take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 5? We're going to see the end of this thing. We're not going to go to the end, but we're going to see it out there somewhere. Galatians chapter 5. Paul spends the first four chapters of this letter challenging some false teachers who were trying to bring the Gentiles back underneath the law of Moses. And basically what they were saying is, yeah, Jesus is good. Include him in your repertoire, but you still need to be circumcised and you still need to keep the law. And Paul spends four chapters in this letter challenging that and saying, it's just not true. It is Jesus, Jesus alone, that results in salvation. It is Christ alone that results in securing your salvation. And so through way of analogy, he gives all of these examples in the first four chapters, and we've gone through all of them, and uh, you can go back to the podcast and listen to them if you'd like. And he comes to chapter 5, and in chapter 5, he sums up everything that he said in the first four chapters. And he pretty much does it in the first verse. He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Here's what he's saying. You've been set free. Now, stay free. He knew there would be a tendency to go back to the law. There would be a tendency to go back to rules and regulations and holidays and all of those things that were included with the law. It's the nature of religion that resides in the flesh of man to want rules and regulations. And Paul challenges that. He says, you've been set free. Now, live free. Now, the typical response to many believers when they first hear this idea, they first discover that they're no longer, that the law no longer applies to Christians. Typically, the first response whenever we find out that the law doesn't apply to us anymore goes something like this. Great! Now I can do whatever I want. No rules. I can do anything I please. I don't have a list of rules anymore. I don't have a list of laws anymore. I'm free to just go with the breeze, do whatever I want to do. And for many people, freedom looks something like this. I am free to go anywhere I want. I am free to say anything I want to anybody I want. I don't have any rules anymore. I'm free to think anything I want. I'm free to feel any way I want to feel. I'm free to have any attitude I want. 
I'm free to watch anything I want. I'm free to listen to anything that I want. I'm free to drink anything I want whenever I want to drink it. I'm free to treat people any way I want to. I'm free to include only those people in my life that make me feel good about myself. I have to so that I'll feel good about myself. I am in charge of who comes into my life and who I embrace. I'm free to pick and choose who I have relationships with. I'm free to have me time, which usually means we're going to declare a day of flesh. Just do whatever I want to do. I'm free to only go to church meetings whenever I want to. I'm free to dress any way I want to. Hear this one a lot. I am free to worship any way I want to. Whatever suits my personality, whatever fits my mood, whatever triggers my emotion, I'm free to worship any way I want to because I don't have any rules for worship anymore. I don't have any regulations for worship anymore. Those were part of the law. I'm free from the law. I can worship any way I want to. I'm free to eat anything and as much as I will go on. Okay, we'll skip through that one. I'm free to believe anything I want. I'm free to do with my money whatever I want to do with it. Now, if any or all of that is what freedom means to me, I don't understand what being free from the law really is. These statements may reveal reveal that I am free from the law but they also indicate that I am in turn in bondage to something else. And that in bondage is I want. The measure for how I live is what I want. The measure for how I live is how I feel. The measure for how I live then becomes the very heart of sin, which is It's all about what I want to do and how I want to do it. Paul is saying, you're free from the law. Don't go back to it. But also, don't become enslaved to your flesh. The word here, freedom, is also translated liberty. The Greek tense of it is important. It's what they call the aorist tense. tense. And here's what it means. It carries with it both a momentary and a completeness of the act. The momentary means you were freed once. Once. There was an act, there was a decision, there was something that happened, and the chains were broken. You were free. And then part of it is completeness. Once and for all, you have been free. Not conditional. It's not transitory. It doesn't come and go. 
You have been freed, and you are free forever continually. Another translation puts it this way. It kind of does the negative side. It says, not to bring us into another form of bondage did Christ liberate us from that which we were born and in order to make us free from bondage. He says, Christ didn't free you from the law in order for you to be in bondage to something else. He freed you from the law that you might be his. And he says that in this chapter. You've been free. You've been liberated from all of that. Some things freedom from the law intends to provide goes something like this. I am free to live in God's presence without any fear of being rejected because I didn't keep the law. God is never going to reject me because I didn't keep the law, because I broke the commandment. And it's also the answer to any rejection that would come from someone else. Here's the God of the universe. He has found a basis upon which to accept me unconditionally. It wasn't the law. It was Christ. And he has freed me from any obligation to the law. And he will never reject me because I didn't keep the law. So it deals with any rejection that I feel from God. When I feel like, oh, I'll blow it out of this. God's basis for his acceptance of me is Christ. And it helps me deal with when you try to reject me. God knows me, and he's not rejecting me. You think you know me, and you're going to reject me? I don't think so. I am accepted in the beloved because of what he's done. I am free to live in God's presence. I don't have to perform any rituals. I don't have to perform any acts. I don't have to go through anybody else. I am free to live in God's presence forever. I am free to experience God's love without any sense of shame or unworthiness. Wow. God likes it when I'm in his presence. He likes me living there. There's not an ounce of shame in his presence. There's not an ounce of unworthiness in his presence. Instead of, when I approach him, instead of hearing, go away, I hear, come unto me. Come on in. Where you been? I've been waiting for you. I've been running after you. I want you to live in my presence and know my love. There is no sense of shame. There is no sense of unworthiness in freedom. I'm free to live with a clean conscience. The debt I owed was paid in full. I can live as a debtor or I can live as a free man. But there is no debt owed God. Jesus paid it all and freed me from that sense of shame, that sense of 
yuckiness that just, that just, I just feel, yeah. And when we look at it, it's that sense of unworthiness. It's that sense of shame. And we've, we keep confessing that sin over and over and over and over, thinking if I can, well, you just really didn't mean it. I'm not forgiven because I jumped through a hoop. I am forgiven because Christ died for me. I'm free to experience God's grace when I sin. Some of us have this concept that whenever we sin, God goes, oop, that's it. Go get it worked out and then come back. We have this sense about when we sin, no, you got to be over there in that penalty box for a little while. We, we never know how long it really is. It's just all of a sudden, oh, one day we can get out. I can free to experience God's grace when I sin. Instead of judgment and instead of condemnation, instead of hearing that condemning voice that says, you need to try harder. You haven't done enough. Instead of hearing that condemning voice, I hear this loving voice that says, you know, I've got so much better for you to enjoy in my presence. That's his grace. He's extending his grace to me. I am free to experience God's unconditional love and acceptance, which in turn encourages me and motivates me to love him wholeheartedly. Somehow we think and somehow we have insisted that you must love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength in order to get him to be happy with you. And anything less than that is, makes God kind of iffy. The truth of the matter is, he loves me absolutely unconditionally. And the awareness of that in my heart motivates me and encourages me to then love him with my whole heart. If you've ever been in a relationship with someone that their love for you was conditional, their love was you, you just didn't know how when you wake up in the morning what you were going to get. It made it real difficult to respond with your whole heart. But the awareness of God's love for me, freedom from the law, lets me live in that awareness of God's love in me. And that motivates me and encourages me to want to love him with my whole heart. <clears throat> I'm free to live in an intimate, personal relationship with the Father without a tutor intervening and controlling every area of my life. You remember what he said in the fourth chapter of Galatians, that, you know, when you're under the law, you're under a tutor, and that tutor is usually a slave, and that tutor is not there to teach you. That tutor is there to absolutely control your life. He controls every aspect of your life. He sees that you go to the place where you taught. He sees that you're at the place where you're supposed to eat. He sees he controls everything, and typically that tutor is a slave. 
You don't go to the Father directly. Even though you're his son, you don't go to him directly. You go to the tutor. But now I am free to go directly and personally and intimately to the Father, me and him face to face without having a tutor controlling my life. The Father has determined it is time for me to take my place as a son no longer under the control of a slave. See, Galatians 4 says, you do that until the Father says it's time for you to come out. Listen, the Father has said, you don't need a tutor anymore. I'm free to place my focus on him and a relationship with him. Instead of constantly dwelling on the rules and how many times I come up short. We've just been sold such a bill of goods when it comes to this freedom that the Father has given us. We either go so far to say, well, we're free to do whatever we want to do, or we go over here, no, you're not free. You've still got to, it's Jesus and the law and the rules. Listen, he said in Galatians Three, I believe. Well, he says it here in Galatians 4. Uh, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. How much law does it take to taint my relationship with the Lord? Doesn't take much. All it takes is a little bit of dough, in a, a little bit of leaven in a great big amount of dough, and it affects the whole thing. All it takes is just a little bit of law in our heart. Believing that I've got to do to perform. Believing that I've got to perform to get his acceptance and approval. To, to, to taint, that, that's just a good word. It just twists that relationship with the Father. He said, I am free. I am free to go to him face to face. I don't need a priest. I don't need a mediator. I don't need anybody. Christ mediates for me. He stands in the presence of God on my behalf and says, yeah, he's a mess, but he's mine. He's mine. Any of that appeal to you? The next typical response upon discovering we're free from the law goes something like this. Well, if there are no rules... What is there to keep me from sinning? And there's an assumption behind that. The assumption is keeping the law kept me from sinning. That's a deception. The law stimulates sin. But we, in our convoluted thinking, we think, okay, well, if there are no rules, if there is no law, what's going to keep me from sinning? If there's no law, how will I know how to act? Some of us are just walking around. Please give me a list of what I'm supposed to do. And he gave us one, and we couldn't keep it. He said, that's why I gave it to you, so you would know you couldn't keep it. That's why Christ died, to free you from that responsibility. If there's no law, how will I know how to act? 
how, if there is no law, how will I know right from wrong? How will I know good from evil? Remember where that came from? You can eat on the tree of life, or you can eat in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the tree of good and the tree of evil. It was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we keep going back to that tree. War is good. War is evil. War is right. War is wrong. How will I live without the judgment and condemnation that lets me know when I've done something wrong? And make me afraid to do it again. We used to have a little old church, little old lady in our church in California. And uh, I used to be real good at playing to that. You want to feel bad? I can make you feel bad. I can make you feel lower in a snake's belly. Man, you worm, you ain't done nothing. It ain't nothing but just a thin thread holding you over hell, God dangling you there. You mess up, let it go. And this little old lady, almost every Sunday, whenever she would leave, this was back whenever the pastor stood at the door, she'd come through and she'd say, that was such a great message. And she said one or two things. She'd either say, well, my husband needed to hear that. Or she would say, the way I know it was good is I got felt bad when you got through. How am I going to live without this sense of shame and this sense of condemnation and this sense of insufficiency and this judgment? Because I need that to know when I did something wrong. I need that to know to keep me from doing it again. It doesn't work very well, does it? Without the law, list, and rules, what will I have to measure myself and others by? See, we've got this subconscious list. How'd your day go? Well, pretty good. I got eight out of ten. How will I judge you by? How are you doing on the list? I'm not keeping the list very well. You're not doing all the things they're supposed to do. Many of us don't know how to live without shouldas, wouldas, couldas, have tos, ought tos, ought nots, should not, would not, will not, better not, and all the shame, guilt, and manipulation and fear that accompanies that mindset. All those things we judge ourselves by and we measure ourselves by. God says, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's for freedom. Christ sets you free. You're free from all of that influence and all of that control. Okay, then how do I live? Okay, you, you've pointed out that the law is not relevant. Paul has, has emphasized that in four chapters and saying that the law is not a part of a believer's life anymore. Then how do I live? If I'm not going to use the law to determine what's right and wrong, if I'm not going to use the law to 
to determine how I'm doing. What is it? How is it to live? Well, in chapter 5 of Galatians, eight times, Paul refers the Holy Spirit as to how we live in freedom. Eight times he refers to the Holy Spirit as the answer for all of that in Galatians 1 through 4 that he challenged. Remember how he writes? He writes and he tries to anticipate their questions. Okay, we've read it. We've looked at it. Here's the question I got, Paul. Then how do we live? We don't have the law. How do we live? And then eight times in Galatians chapter 5, he refers to the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. You got that one, Karis? There we go. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. This is new. We're, I'm trying to figure out how this works, okay? So Galatians chapter 5, verse 5 says, For we, through the Spirit by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. What brings that hope of righteousness in my life? My ability to keep the law? My ability to do right? No. It's through the Spirit by faith. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. I thought I wouldn't carry out the desire of flesh if I kept the rules. Nope. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He says in verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition one to another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul doesn't say, hey, resist that flesh. Take authority over that flesh. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not a negative thing. We've got so much uh, contradiction in our heart about how to walk this thing. How do you walk? Well, I don't do this. I don't give in to the flesh. I don't do this. No, no, no. Here's the answer to all that. Walk by the Spirit. Because the Spirit empowers you to say no to the flesh. The Spirit empowers you to live out what God has put in your life. Look in verse uh, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against which there is no law. The results of abiding in the Spirit Because in order to produce fruit, there has to be a remaining. I've got a bunch of fruit trees in my yard. I can't go out there and dig them up, move them every week to another location. They have to stay in one place. They have to abide in that place. And in that, they produce fruit. I can't be running all over the place. I must learn to abide in the Spirit and allow the Spirit to produce fruit in me. I want to tell you, folks, the height of self-righteousness is to think I can act like Jesus. I cannot. But the reality is 
Christ will act like himself through me if I'll abide in him. And it won't be an imitation. It'll be the real thing. He just described Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is Jesus. Now, 24. Those who belong to Jesus, well, let me go down to verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. That's what Paul says. You've been freed, live in it. You've been freed, stay in it. Don't go back. Walk in what God has provided for you. Eight times he said that. Now, typically, whenever we hear about the Holy Spirit, it's in reference to spiritual gifts or tongues or miracles or power expressions, and all those are part of what he does. But in reality, the Holy Spirit is the life and presence of God today on the earth. And he lives in every believer. It's God. I want you to understand something. We're going to get into this more in just a minute. When Jesus left, he did not leave us a manual. He did not leave us a guidebook. He did not leave us a workbook. He did not leave us a list of principles. When Jesus left, he left God in the presence of the Holy Spirit to live inside of each one of us. And when we invite him to reign in our life and cooperate with him, the freedom that was purchased by Christ is realized in our daily life. When I'm walking in this relationship with the Spirit, he never comes at me with, boy, you are just such a jerk. You're just so worthless. You fail so many times. That's not the voice of God. He never comes with me with condemnation. He never comes with me, you need to go away, work that out. He never comes with me with, now get that straight and and come back to me. He never comes with me with, you need to sit this out because of the things you've done, you don't measure up. He never, ever does that to me in my relationship because he comes to testify of Christ. And we'll see more of that in a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. I'll show you how intricately they are woven together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the Holy Spirit. He came and left God to live inside of us. And he says, the Lord and the Spirit are the same. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, a byproduct of that is freedom. Freedom. Not the Lord plus the law. Not the Lord plus the rules. Not the Lord plus the principles. It's the Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Freedom didn't come 
from trying to keep the law. And freedom won't be lived out by attempting to keep it now. We we are so good at getting you saved by grace but kept by works. We get you saved. How would I get saved? You got saved by grace. Now what I do? Well, you get to work. And you do all these things if you want to be right with God. You don't want God to be mad at you. You do all these things. You act this way. Dress this way. Look this way. Talk this way. All of those things are an effort to get God to do something he already does based on Christ, and that is accept me. Freedom didn't come through trying to keep the law, and it won't be lived out by trying to keep it. Living the way Paul tells us doesn't mean trying to keep the rules in order to become something. Living the way Paul described doesn't mean that we try to keep the rules in order to become something. We didn't keep the rules in order to become a child of God. And he says you don't keep the rules, you don't attempt to keep the rules and the law in order to be free. He says you're already free. Now live in that freedom. It means living out of what Christ has already done out of what he has accomplished, and out of who he has made me to be. You need to get rid of this phrase in your life. Whenever you blow it, whenever you get mad, whenever you sin, whenever you make whatever you want to call it, you need to get rid of this phrase. That's just the way I am. And you need to grow accustomed to the phrase that every time righteousness is expressed through you, you say, that's the way I am. Every time love is expressed to you, that's the way I am. How did I get that way? Christ made you that way. Not because you kept the rules, not because you kept the law. We've got this image that, that we had to do something to become this, and now we have to do something to maintain this, and Christ did it to make me something, and now I live out of what he has made me. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Look in chapter 6, verse 15. I love this one here. All this summation, he talked about all this stuff that they were challenging with. He said, neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. Isn't that cool? It's not about all that law. It's not about the rules. It's not about keeping the guidelines. It's not about dotting all your I's and crosses your teeth. It is about who God has made you and learning to walk in who God has made you. And what does it look like? Well, when I respond to the Holy Spirit, it looks just like Jesus because it is Jesus manifesting and expressing himself through me. How do I live then? I live by the Holy Spirit. I live by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's good news to some of us, but that's scary as it can be to other of us. We've got this image of the whole, oh, boy, the Holy Spirit's going to, you know, what? Uh, I, it's just God, just Jesus, just the Father expressing who the Jesus is and who the Father is. 
and we learn to live by that. This is what matters. It's where, set, it's where success is found in our walk. Now, next week, I want to share with you several things about this walk with the Holy Spirit, several practical things. I tell you something, this, is, this has really encouraged me personally in my own life because just because. It's just good to be reminded that it's just about walking in him and not about your expectations, my expectations, anybody else's expectations, anybody else's approval. It's just walking with him. But sometimes that's kind of ethereal. We've made that woo-woo-woo, you know, really kind of a wacky stuff. But I want to share with you next week several practical expressions of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is doing his thing in my life and what he comes to do in my life, okay? Any questions? What stood out? Anything new? Anything fresh? Any reminders? Any confirmation? Anything? I'm awake. All right. He's good, ain't he? Man. Um, this will all fit together in a second. Susan and I went out last night and celebrated 35 years anniversary. It amazes me, by the way, how amazed people are by that. You know, when I was a kid, 50 years was nothing. And now if you make it past 20, you've done something. Um. While we were there, a couple of guys came in and sat at the table next to us. And as they were getting ready to leave, uh, we heard them tell their waitress, we're celebrating our 21st anniversary. We both said to them, congratulations, happy anniversary. Here's what you shared last week. You know, I was asking Susan, how, how did you feel saying happy anniversary to a gay couple? And she said, normal. It's not normal, we, but it is to them. But I think what matters is what our heart was to them, our acceptance. I think that saying that to them was just God working something out in me. It wasn't their right or wrong. It was God working something out in me. And one of the things Kara said last week is, I don't know what this all is going to look like. But what I do know is that what you shared today is not just for us. That's right. I'm sitting here listening to all of this, thinking about those two guys last night and how much freedom that God has and wants to give them, how much liberty he wants to give away. And if we don't get that for us, all we're going to give is judgment and condemnation and ridicule. And if that's all you want to give, me and you are going to part ways a little bit because I don't want to be about that. 
I'm sick of that. I'm hungry to see people that can engage the world and give away the freedom. They need it. I I get what you shared. I mean, I love this stuff, but I'm walking in it. I want to give it away. And not to you. You get it enough here. I want to give it out there. God, show me where. Open my heart. Open our heart. That's good. That's good. Anyone else? Last week, kiddo. The Lord gave me an illustration a couple weeks ago that I just feel like helps put a picture to what I hope it does. I hope. Um, I heard somebody asking somebody else about the works. Why, if it's not about the works, why is it about the works? Um, and I didn't like the person's answer, but <laughs> as I kind of went to the Lord about it, he showed, he showed me the picture. I was passing a pond, and there was a duck on the pond, and he said, is swimming to a duck work, or is it just what the duck does? And he said, the things, the works, should come out of just being with him. It's just, it's, it's what a Christian does. It's not what we have to do. It's not what we're called. I mean, it is what we're called to do, but it's at a base level. It's just what we do from abiding in him. And if we're abiding in him, the natural outpouring is the things that a Christian does. It's not work. It's not chores. It's not something we have to think really hard or look at a list to make sure we're filling them all. It's like swimming to a duck. It's just what we do. That's right. Because of what we are. That's right. And when Jesus came, he says, I'm doing the work of the Father. He was working. Well, he didn't come because he was happy with our works. He came to express the Father's work through us. The Father's still working now. And our job is not to replace it with our own idea of works. Our responsibility is to cooperate with him while he does his work through us, his work of acceptance, his work of approval, his work of love, his work of kindness, his work of joy, his work, all of those things. That's his work. And our job is not to try to reproduce them. Our job is to cooperate with him and let him do them through us and reveal himself. And he said, if I be lifted up, what? Men will be drawn to me. They'll come to Jesus because they see what he's doing and see who he is. Anyone else? So, yeah, it kind of reminded me of a time where I was having this conversation with the Lord of what it's supposed to look like. Um, and I don't, I don't know how to articulate it very well. I just know that that's the way he communicated with me and it clicked. But he almost asked me, what if you treated them like they were already free? And uh, it kind of was just like, okay, yeah, I wouldn't be sitting there trying to correct them or fix them or tell them they're broken or, you know, anything. But literally just loving on them. Uh, so it, it's been coming a lot because in corporate, they've, we just found out kind of within these last couple years, um, 
is a male transitioning uh, to be a female. And uh, it's crazy the conversations we've had um, where it's not me trying to fix, you know, uh, him or her. It's just love and honor. We talk about God. I mean, it's uh, crazy things. I've, I've introduced her to Maverick City. Uh, but it's just crazy because it's like I remember even saying it in one of the meetings where we had, you know, talking about transgender or whatever in the office. And uh, they're like, this is a free space to kind of say whatever it is you want to say now. And because if it happens later, you know, type thing. Uh, and I just remember the Lord at that moment was just like, it's not my job to fix them. It's my job to love them. That's right. You, you know why criticism comes out of our mouth? Because we hear that in our heart. Out of the mouth flows the issues of the heart. And we're hearing criticism either from the, well, it originates with the enemy. We think it's a lot of times God that's criticizing us. And so hearing what we do, we speak what we hear. If you find yourself being critical, ask yourself, what am I hearing that I am relaying? If I hear acceptance and love and approval and a welcome, that's what will come out of my mouth to people. Okay, Sandra? Sandra? 